Welcome to Catholic Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And for this week, I will be playing a talk I gave at Sacred Heart of Jesus in Manville, Texas. And uh, this will be a little bit shorter. So what happened is that the this talk was a short 20-minute talk to some high school students on uh, tradition of the church. And so in 20 minutes, I went over sacred scripture, tradition, church fathers, councils, the rosary, um, the Eucharist, and the four last things, all in under 20 minutes. And so it was a very um, rapid fire information fest. And there are a few things that I got incorrect while I was speaking. Um, And so at the end of this episode, I have actually corrected a few things that uh, I got wrong uh, that I said into in the actual talk. And it's nothing that big. It was mostly just like I missed some dates or confused councils. Um, but I will correct them at the end. So that way you can see where I made the mistake and uh, that it would be on record of uh, me correcting those mistakes because it's not good to uh, make mistakes, obviously. So I will throw you into the episode um, and let me know what you think. Did you like what I had to say? Uh, Is there anything here that you want me to explore in more depth? Um, What do you think? Let me know. All right, so uh, I only have 20 minutes to cover a lot of stuff. So um, this is just so y'all know, this is going to be skimming the surface, like very scratching the surface about these different topics. And the first half, I'm going to, it's going to be a little bit mm, boring. Uh, we're going to go over some, uh, a lot of details. We're going to go over scripture, that kind of thing. And then the second half, it'll be a lot more interesting, I promise. Um, but just that way I can say that I started well, we will start off with prayer. I know you already prayed, uh, but y'all talked about praying in English and in Spanish. So now we're going to pray in Latin. Uh, so if y'all would like to kneel down uh, to pray, uh, we will pray together. Uh, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Pater nostra, quies in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, et vinia regnum tuum, fia bauntat tua, sicur in celo et in terra, pano nostrum quotidian de nobis tordia, dimita debitare nostra, sicur in nostra mitimus debitoribus nostris, en in esum ducas tentaciones, libra nostra malo. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Gloria Patria, Filio, Spiritui Sancto, Sicurat in Principio, et Nuc et Semper, et in Secula, Seculorum. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that was the Hail Mary, Our Father, and Glory Be in Latin. So now, y'all, we're talking about praying to Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory Be in English, Spanish. So there it is in Latin. All right. And a hush fell over the crowd. Hush. Thank you. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, natural theology. So natural theology is the things that we can learn through our reason alone, what Thomas Aquinas calls the light of reason. 
And so there are certain things that we can know uh, through reason alone. And those things include like the Ten Commandments. Uh, Thomas Aquinas says that you can actually learn the Ten Commandments uh, through reason alone. He also says that you can learn uh, about that God exists. Now, you can't learn about the Trinity, but you can learn that God himself does exist through the light of reason alone. Um, but Thomas says in his... Uh, and the first part of his Summa Theologiae, which is his uh, summary of theology, which is about this big, um, in it he says, For the truth about God, such as reason can know it, would only be known by a few, and that after a long time, and with an admixture of many errors. So, because uh, reason can only get you so far, God has revealed himself through divine revelation uh, because he knew that if we were uh, up to ourselves, that so few of us would ever come to know anything about God. Any of y'all heard of Aristotle or Plato or Socrates? These great philosophers uh, were one of the most brilliant minds who ever lived. And it took their entire lives to understand just a glimpse of the greatness of God. And even then, they got so much wrong. And that's what Thomas Aquinas is talking about. He said that, yeah, you can learn these things through reason, but it's extremely hard and you're going to get things wrong. So God, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to reveal himself to us. He came down, and we call it at a theophany, whenever God came down, like whenever he was uh, talking with Abraham, and he appeared as the three people that show up and talk to him. He revealed himself in that way. And so we can see that if you go and look at the Vatican II document, Dei Verbum, it talks about the word of God, the word of God that is spoken in mass. Whenever we say the word of the Lord in Latin, it's verbum domine, which is the spoken word of God, because God is an active God. He is in, in, in with the world. He speaks and we uh, hear him and we respond to him. That's why the word is spoken to us. That's why they, the uh, priest will read the gospel out loud instead of saying, all right, everybody, pull out your Bibles. We're going to read this together. Uh, no, the, the, the priest will read it out loud to you because it's a spoken word of God and we hear it and we respond. And so scripture is a part of that divine revelation. It is actually what we call uh, sacred tradition. It is part of sacred tradition. It is a sacred tradition written down. And so, so many people will say that we don't believe in tradition, um, but we do believe in tradition. We believe in the sacred tradition, which is oral, which is spoken, which is passed down from the apostles to the church fathers uh, and implemented into the councils of the church and to what we have today. And those same things were passed down in scripture and was written down by the apostles. We have the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the letters of St. Paul, the letter of Peter, and, and so on and so forth. All these things are compiled together in order to reveal God to you. Because God wants to speak to you. He wants to have a relationship with you as an individual. He's not trying to just speak to everyone. He's talking to you individually. He speaks and he calls you by name. He wants you to respond to him. And so he reveals himself in the scripture. So that's why we have to read scripture. But we can't just stop at, at reading scripture. See, there's, there's a danger to reading scripture. See, the problem is that if you just read scripture on its own, you end up with 40,000 different kinds of uh, interpretations of that scripture. 40,000 different interpretations. And now, you, where, what do you believe? When Jesus spoke about something, what do we believe? I'm going to give three examples later, uh, very specific examples, but for now, this will do. Um, this, the, so we have to have an interpreter, a divine interpreter who can take what was in Scripture and say, this is what it means. I'll give you an example. 
St. Ignatius of Antioch. St. Ignatius of Antioch lived in about 100 AD to about somewhere around 100 and 200 AD he lived. And so St. Ignatius of Antioch, he was actually ordained a bishop by St. John. You know, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John? He was ordained by him and he went on to speak and teach about these same things that he learned from John. Who learned from who? From Jesus. So he learned from Jesus. Jesus passed it down to John. John passed it down to Ignatius. Ignatius passed it down to his successor and his successor and his successor and his successor and his... Okay, y'all get the point. Okay, so we continue onward and that's where we come with oral tradition. You see, the church fathers were trained by the apostles and they gained all this knowledge. And what did they do with it? They didn't hoard the knowledge. They wanted to spread it. So in fact, you see whenever the different heresies start popping up, the first heresy of the church was Arianism. And Arianism started spreading across. St. Anthony of the Desert, talking about Arianism, said that one day the church woke up and found itself Arian. That everyone, all the priests, all the bishops, thought that Arianism was true. And what is Arianism? It's the teaching that Jesus was not God. He said there was when he was not there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, where the Son didn't exist, because the Son is a created being. That's a heresy. That's false. How did they prove it? Because the Arians were saying, look, it says right here in Scripture, the Father is greater than I. Therefore, Jesus can't be, uh, can't be God, because he said the Father is greater than I. And so the uh, church fathers came up, and they said, hey, look, look. Look, you got Scripture on your side. I got Scripture on my side. But what do the fathers say? Who do the people that came before us say? How many fathers can you quote? How many fathers do you know that approved of what you said versus what I said? Because we both have scripture on our side. We're both talking about scripture. So what's the difference? And the difference is the tradition, is the divine interpreter that God has gifted us, gifted the Catholic Church with that authority to interpret scripture, has gifted us with that ability to interpret scripture so that way we will not err when it comes to this. So that's what we have to rely on. Now, you have that. This is the way we have to uh, go about trying to discover things. First, we have scripture. We look at scripture. We're like, okay, uh, this is what it says. Now, this is kind of confusing. Uh, so where do we go next? Okay, now let's look at the church fathers. What do the church fathers have to say about this? Okay, now we understand what the church fathers say about this. Okay, uh, the church fathers were not infallible. Any individual church father could be wrong about something. Uh, because they're not infallible in and of themselves. So we have the councils. And so the different councils, like the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene Creed that we say at Mass every Sunday, came from the Council of Nicaea. And so these councils, when they speak dogmatically, they are declaring something as true that is infallible. So once you look at that, you go to the councils. Now, just a plug for my, uh, real quick, for my favorite saint, St. Thomas Aquinas was declared by many popes uh, and by the Council of Trent as being like the big dog when it comes to theology. In fact, they said you can learn more from reading Thomas Aquinas than every other theologian combined. Every other theologian. You learn more by just reading Thomas. In fact, they set up Thomas as a rule of faith. They said if you stray from Thomas Aquinas, well, I mean, it sounds like you're going to be wrong. So uh, just wanted to throw a little plug for my uh, favorite saint. So, Moving on to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is my first example. The Eucharist 
is highly debated about what it is. Not only was it debated now, it was debated in the time of Jesus. So Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said that you should eat my body and drink my blood or you have no life within you. And the Jews were like, what? Uh, how can you give me your body to eat? That's kind of gross. And, uh, and yeah, that's confusing. So what do we do? What do we do? We started with Jesus. This is what Jesus said. So what does Jesus do next? Then he institutes how we do it. So we see then in Matthew how he talks about the mass. He said, take this, all of you, and eat of it. Hoc es inum corpus meum, which is, this is my body. This is my body. So we have the ceremony. We have the action of doing it. Okay, so now we have this. Now what do we do later? Okay, now we look at what the apostles said. So we look at St. Paul. St. Paul said that anyone who eats and drinks of the body and blood unworthily eats and drinks damnation. That doesn't sound like just bread and wine to me. That sounds like it's Jesus' actual body and blood. So then we move on forward. Then we look at the church fathers. The church fathers are very animate about this fact that it is the body and blood of Christ. And so I can go and quote from you Augustine, Irenaeus, St. Justin Martyr. I don't have time to do that, unfortunately. So I'm going to move a little bit further and say that um, in the councils. So we move on and we see the councils of the church. And I think it was the Council of Ephesus, um, no, the, council, the Second Council of Lyons that said, that declared it transubstantiation. So before, the, the language of transubstantiation existed, but we haven't completely solidified it. And so at the Council of Lyons, the Second Council of Lyons, we declared it transubstantiation. The body and blood transubstantiates, the bread and wine transubstantiates into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. At that moment, it changes the substance. The accidents, what it looks like, what it appears like, it's, uh, it looks like bread, it smells like bread. If you taste it, it tastes like bread, but it is no longer bread. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay, moving onward. Our Lady, I promised my mom that I would always talk about her anytime I give a talk. So, I'm going to talk about Our Lady for a second. So, Our Lady... In 33 AD, this Jewish guy who claimed to be God was crucified. His name is Jesus Christ. You may have heard of him. So he was crucified, and as he was on the cross, he looked down, and he saw his mother there at the foot of the cross, and he said, and he looks to his beloved disciple, John, and says, behold your mother. And then he looks at John, and he tells him, and he looks at his mother and tells him, behold your son. At that moment, we have the idea of Mary interceding for us, our, that Our Lady is our mother, and we are her children. Okay, so then we have that. Then I could quote for your church fathers, but let me move forward and say at the Council of Ephesus, we have the declaration of Theotokos. That means God-bearer, God-bearer, that she gave birth to, uh, to God. So who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is God. And so who did, Jesus, who did Mary give birth to? Jesus Christ, who is God. Therefore, Mary gave birth to God. Makes sense, right? So they declared that to be true. And then now, I, instead of uh, just staying in the early church, I want to move forward because I just love talking about Our Lady, and so I have to talk about Our Lady. So, uh, moving ahead, at around uh, 1180, St. Dominic, who uh, was the founder of the Order of Preachers, was given the rosary so Our Lady appeared to him and gave him the rosary to combat the heresy of Albigensians. Have you ever heard of any Albigensians before? Right, because St. Dominic used the rosary and it worked. So yeah, exactly. So, and he passed it along. And then fast forwarding some further. 
So we have the Battle of Lepanto in 1571. The Battle of Lepanto was uh, whenever the Muslims were going to attack Europe, and the Pope was like, oh my gosh, this is bad. Uh, we do not have an army. There is nobody here to protect us. So what do we do? He calls up everybody, and he's like, hey, guys, y'all got to get a group together, and we got to do this thing. And there's like 100 people on the uh, Catholic side and about like 1,000 people on the Muslim side. We're like, we are going to lose. And so they say, all right, everybody pray the rosary, go to confession, and we're going to go to battle. So everybody went to confession, and they were told, if you commit a mortal sin on the boat, we are throwing you off the boat because we need Jesus on our side. All right? All right? Let's go. And so they all started praying the rosary, and they won the battle. They won the battle, and so Our Lady was declared Our Lady of Victory. So in that moment, that's what she was declared. Fast forwarding even further, Our Lady of Lords, 1858. Our Lady of Lords came, and what she did with St. Bernadette was she would just sit there and she'd pray the rosary with her. She would sit there and pray the rosary with her. she had have other messages too, which is a whole talk of its own, but she prayed the rosary. Fast forwarding even further, Our Lady of Fatima, 1917. Again, she said, pray the rosary. I'll come back to Our Lady of Fatima in a second because this is important. Um... Three nights ago, three nights ago, a man by the name of Father Desmond was walking around outside of his parish in Houston, Texas, praying his rosary, when all of a sudden, somebody came up to him, knocked him to the ground, and he starts praying his rosary as a guy pulls out a gun and points it at his head and pulls the trigger, and all he heard was click, the gun jammed. Then what happens next? He pulls the gun again, points it at his head, pulls the trigger for the second time, and here's click. The gun jammed a second time. They end up beating him, stealing all his money, but leaving his rosary. They walk off, but then he decides to come back, puts the gun against his head a third time, pulls the trigger. Click. Three nights ago, he said it was because of Our Lady. He said it was divine providence. He was praying his rosary. He was praying his rosary and Our Lady saved his life. And let me tell you, that gun worked because later that day, he ends up, later that night, he ends up shooting a cop. The cop is alive, but he shot the cop with the same gun that did it, that jammed three times in a row. Divine providence. Okay, Our Lady of Fatima, going backwards. So finally, I want to end with this. Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are falling into hell like snowflakes. He told little Francisco, a little boy, that if he wanted to get to heaven, it would take many rosaries. This guy didn't even have like pornography or anything like that. He was just a little boy, a little farm boy. And he said, our lady told him, you only get to heaven with many rosaries. So hell, the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. All right, natural theology, uh, death. We can know that all people will die, right? We can know that by human reason alone, everybody dies. There's a great syllogism. Uh, Socrates, uh, all mortals die. Socrates is a man. Therefore, Socrates will die. Okay, we know that through natural reason, everybody dies. So what happens after you die? What happens at death? Your body is separated from your soul. So what happens to your soul? We see in scripture that there's a particular judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all be manifested before the judgment seat of God. Everyone may receive the proper things of the body according to he, what he has done, whether it be good or evil. So we have a particular judgment. After we die, we go up to Jesus and he will judge us. At that moment, what happens? Have you ever been judged before? Have your parents ever questioned you? And did you know you were guilty? 
and your parents are questioning you and you're like, oh my gosh, I know I did it. What am I going to do? That's what's going to happen at the end of our lives. We're going to be judged and we know we're guilty, but we're relying on the mercy of God and we're relying on the sacraments, the things that Christ has set up. And then we have heaven or hell. That's it. One of two options, heaven or hell. How do we know that? Because scripture tells us so. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, uh, uh, Jesus tells us that uh, in the parable of the uh, servants and the talents, he says to the good servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Because thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll place thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So he basically tell him, come on into heaven. You did good. Now, how do we know there's a hell? Because Jesus told us right after he said that on in verse 41, he said, quote, he shall say to them also that they shall be on his left hand. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, which has been paired for the devils and his angels. The Council of Leons has stated that at the end of our lives, we will have judgment. And then we will have heaven or we will have hell. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen said that we will, uh, at the end of our lives, we will be told one of two things. We will gaze on the wonderful face of Jesus or the miserable face of Satan, and they will say, mine, mine, let us be Christ. So finally, to wrap up in the last like 15 seconds, um, this shirt I have on is, the, is a vision of St. John Bosco. He is looking at the Eucharist, and he's looking at Our Lady. And so those are the two things that we have to be tied to. We have to be tied to the Eucharist. We have to be tied to Our Lady if we want to survive this journey. Because this ship is not our home. It's we are on a journey, a sojourn, onto the journey to heaven. So be tied to Our Lady. Be tied to the Eucharist. And thank you for your time. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus secum, brita tuum, mulieribus, abritus, lupus ventris tui, Jesus, Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostri, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that episode on the uh, on the four last things, the rosary, sacred tradition, the Eucharist, and all of that. Uh, there are three things that I wanted to correct of what I said uh, during the talk that I have gotten wrong. See, I was didn't really have enough time to go back and check my notes exactly. I was running off of memory for most of the uh, talk, uh, but let me make the corrections now. So one thing that I had said was that St. Ignatius of Antioch was live between 100 and 200 A.D., while that's technically true, St. Ignatius of Antioch actually died in July 6th, uh, 108. So that is, uh, technically speaking, he did he did live between 100 and 200 AD, though it's more accurate to say he lived in the first century and then he died in 108 AD, which I guess technically is a second century. Um, so, yeah, he died in 108 AD. I had said that he was alive during 100 to 200 um, the other thing I said was, uh, that the, it was a second council of Lyons that, uh, solidified the term transubstantiation. Now that's not true. What I meant to say is that the fourth Lateran council, I know sounds exactly the same. The fourth Lateran council is where the term transubstantiation was solidified. That was in 1215, the fourth Lateran council where they had, uh, solidified the term transubstantiation. The term transubstantiation actually existed prior to the council, uh, the Fourth Lateran Council, and uh, but it was solidified as a terminology that we were going to use in the church for the uh, tr- for the Eucharist. So that was whenever, that's when we declared, 
decided that. I also mentioned that I would, there was other church fathers that I can mention about the Eucharist that I did not have time to go into. And I want to quote them now. I was going to quote from St. Ignatius of Antioch, who said, quote, I have no taste for corruptible food, nor for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And for drink, I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. And then Augustine said, quote, I promised you new Christians who have now been baptized a sermon in which I would explain the sacrament of the Lord's table, that bread, which you see on the altar, having been sanctified by the word of God is the body of Christ, that chalice, or rather what is in that chalice, having been sanctified by the word of God is the blood of Christ. Quote, what you see is the bread and the chalice. That is what your eyes report to you. But what your faith obliges you to accept is that the bread is the body of Christ and the chalice is the blood of Christ. So those are the things that I wanted to quote to you was St. Augustine, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and then, of course, the Fourth Lateran Council who declared the transubstantiation. The last thing that I had said that was incorrect was the fact that I said the Battle of Lepanto was like a hundred versus a thousand, which obviously was an exaggeration that they had far more troops than that. I don't know the exact number of troops that each side had, but I do know the death toll. And so the Christian side suffered about 7,500 deaths, while the Muslim side suffered about 30,000 deaths. So if that helps put it in perspective to see how many people died. I couldn't find a exact number for how many people were on each side. Um, and I guess if I did some a lot more digging and spent more time looking for the specific statistics, I could find it. But in a cursory look, it was just easier for me to find the uh, death tolls. The And so that was 7,500 Christians that died and 30,000 Muslims that died. So a huge victory uh, for the Catholics. And... Um, and that about sums up the mistakes that I made. If I made any other mistakes that you noticed that I didn't mention here, uh, let me know. Uh, email me at fonsecaproduction at gmail.com. Uh, any questions, comments, or concerns, soapboxes, negativities, positivities, or anything in between, you can email me at fonseca, F-O-N-S-E-C-A, production at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with someone that you think might like to hear it or might need to hear it. It is a, uh, and uh, thank you very much for sharing the podcast and for listening to the podcast. And like I said, if you ever need uh, to reach me, any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to book me as a speaker, uh, can you can uh, contact me at fonsecaproduction at gmail.com. That's fonseca, F-O-N-S-E-C-A, production at gmail.com. And I will close out with a Ave Maria as usual in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Ave Maria gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, e benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostri. Amen. Deum qui letificat, o juventutem, ne.